When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. (laughs) Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. week again uh, for the Modern Drama Podcast. Um, this week we have the one and only Ed Town from the Doobie Brothers. Hello, Ed. How's it going? It's going, man. I know it's you're, you're busy. You're out on the road, right? You're in Texas today. and Yeah, I'm in Dallas, Texas, and uh, the wonderful hotel room curtains right behind me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we play here tomorrow, and uh, there's not too much left, just a couple of weeks, I think six shows maybe or five shows left so uh dallas houston new orleans nashville uh connecticut allentown so six six shows left wow and two hometowns yeah that's yeah, gonna be crazy. how's it feel when you go back like like well nashville's your new home and then connecticut when you go back to Connecticut, how does that feel like is well, you know, calling, besides everybody calling you for tickets well, here's here's the funny thing is I moved from Nashville to Eastern Pennsylvania in October. So I've got Nashville and then Connecticut, where I grew up, and then Allentown, PA, which is close to where I live now. So oh, my, that's my, right. guest, my guest lists for those shows are going to be pretty stacked. <laughs> so, I, would, yeah. I would imagine so. That's right. I forgot when we were in Nashville that you, would, you and your girl was uh, talking about you coming... This yeah, way. yeah, I'm living cool. over in Lancaster now with the Amish. 
Nice. It's you know, it's peaceful. I love it. I I was I was ready for a change, and the Nashville of 2021 is not the Nashville of 2005 when I moved there, and it's just become this weird touristy destination, and uh, I and I kind of had my fill there, and I don't really need to live there. You know, I don't I don't work enough in Nashville, right? Um, and especially now with you know when I'm not doing the doobie thing, you know, damn near any session I do is remote, so. Yeah, it's nice to be back closer to where I grew up and uh, with my lady and, and uh, you know, yeah. having, having four seasons instead of two. <laughs> and you have enough chaos on the road, so you need that peace and quiet when you get home. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I know, I know, I hear you. So let's take people back. Um, for those who don't know, and just to remind you, you know, um, I became a fan of, of Ed's um back when he was playing with the band called Vertical Horizon in the 90s. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I know you guys had a number one record. You had you had a couple of hit albums. And uh, was was that your first taste of stardom, kind of? Or? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, I joined that band in 96. I'd been a year out or a couple of years out of college at that point. And, um, they were looking for a drummer and it was very they were very much an indie band you know they had made a couple of records uh one was just an acoustic duo record and then the second one was uh still sort of acoustic based but they had a rhythm section on it and the drummer that just happened to play on the majority of the record was this guy you might have heard of uh called carter beaufort mm. so mm. i was like all right i could you know i liked the tunes and uh you know i love carter's playing style and i was like okay i can i can i can play this stuff let's let's give let's see what these guys are all about you know i found out about the gig from a friend uh jason sutter actually yeah. uh, i don't know if you know jason he's been playing with Cher yeah. lately yeah. i knew jason, i knew jason in miami when i was in college and uh this this was all going down in boston this would have been 96 and they had asked Jason if he wanted to do it, and he was busy doing other things. And and I ran into him at a Vertical Horizon gig in Boston. And Jason told me, and he knew I was looking for a gig. And he said, hey, man, you know, they're looking for a drummer. They had a guy at the time, but he was, um, he didn't like the road. He didn't like being on the road. Um, yeah, people find that out. You know, they, they, you know, they think the road is just nothing but, you know, fun. They don't realize it's actual work. Yeah, it's not for everybody, man. It really isn't. And so this guy um, was a good drummer, and uh, Jason knew him from. Uh, Jason did his uh, his um, bachelor's at North Texas, so he knew this guy from North Texas. I, uh, his name escapes me for some reason. I never, I only met him that one night. Um, but yeah, Jason said they're looking for a drummer, so I talked to one of the guys that night, and that led to setting up an audition and. And I got that gig. So we were indie for a couple of years, still sleeping on people's floors and in campgrounds and stuff. And and then we signed with RCA and we put out the Everything You Want record, which ended up doing really well. Yeah, selling, it's selling a couple million records. And we made a follow up called Go, which unfortunately not a lot of people heard because the record company had sort of fallen apart. While different we were people. Yeah, totally different yeah. people. So the whole team was different and, you know, amidst some of that chaos, the, some things started going on with the band too. And, 
and uh, basically it was staring down a year of, of, of 05 of not really doing anything. And I had just had a kid and, you know, you know, I wasn't getting songwriter publishing. And so if we weren't working, I wasn't making any money. So it was like, you know, if we're sitting at home this year, I'm going to go find something to do. And uh, that's when the Doobie audition popped up. Yeah, and to, right, because I know you went right from Vertical Rise right to, so how, so how did that, how, tell us how that all came about. So Michael Hossack it, was. It's been like 16 years now, right? It's 16 years, exactly 16 years, yeah. So um, I had met Michael Hossack, original Doobie drummer, uh, who played on China Grove and Long Train Running, listened to the music, all that stuff back in the day. Um, and uh, I met him during the Vertical Horizon thing because he was a fan. He was a Vertical Horizon fan. Uh, which was really cool. And um, I got to know Mike and became friends with Mike. And what had happened was in early 05, um, somewhat out of the blue, uh, other doobie drummer, Keith Knudsen, passed away. And uh, I think he had contracted pneumonia or something. And and, uh, and his health was a little frail, and, 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 and it, unfortunately it got him. But um, a couple of months later, they decided they were going to keep doing the two drummer thing. And Mike called me up and asked me if I was interested in in the gig. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I didn't think for a second that I was going to get the gig. It was an invite audition. They didn't do a cattle call or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I'm 20 years younger than those guys. And, um, you know, there were some named guys invited to the audition. Um, And guys that they knew that they were friends with. And... uh, so I just took it really lighthearted. I mean, I prepared because I wanted the I wanted were, the gig. You were a fan, right? Growing up. Yeah, my parents were fans growing up, so I knew the music. You know, I had the records in my house. I knew the music. I I became a fan. I mean, the first time I saw him, I think I was eight years old. You know, my parents took me and my brother down to Hartford Civic Center, and we saw the Doobie Brothers, and wow. we would sort of see them year after year. You know, because back then, well, I mean, bands now are on the road year after year, but back then bands were on the road year after year promoting a new record, you know. Um, So, yeah, it was it was during the sort of Michael McDonald years that I got to see the Doobies in the 70s. I wrote a letter to the fan club when I was 11 years old. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, You still have it? No, I wish I did. You know, I, I after I joined the band, I asked the manager if he kept any of that stuff. And of course, they didn't, you know, but. I remember being really disappointed because I poured my heart out in this letter and said all the naive stuff that a kid would say, like, you know, come over to the house. My mom will make you dinner. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I know all your stuff. Maybe I could sit in on a tune, you know. Um, and I got back this letter that was basically like, dear fan, <laughs> you know, and then we got your letter. Thanks. We get a lot of letters. Sorry, we can't respond to them personally. And then at the bottom, like an order form for T-shirt. <laughs> And it was such a disappointment because, you know, years later when I was 14, I wrote a letter to Neil to Modern Drummer. And I still have to this day a handwritten postcard from Neil Peart, you know. So getting this form letter when I was 11 was one of the sort of first disappointments of rock and roll. I tease the guys about it now, you know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I, that's I, your, that's your going to rock and roll Hall of Fame with all their other stuff. <laughs> I know, right? So I, uh, you know, I prepared for the audition because I was serious about it because I wanted the gig. But mentally, I think I was a little more relaxed about it because I just I just didn't really think that I, I was going <clears> to 
that I was going to be their guy. You know, like musically, I figured I'll be their guy, but like, oh, you know, they got this guy auditioning and they've known him for years. And, you know, so I just kind of, it, 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 uh, got rid of any kind of butterflies or whatever, you know, which was good because you were relaxed and it was great, man. And I'm like, all right, I'll go out to California and I'll be in the Doobie brothers for a half hour and it'll be great. You know, right, right. I get to play these songs with those guys and, and, uh, and, uh, it'll be a cool story to tell at parties or whatever, you know? And uh, I got the gig, man. Nice. Yeah, cool. well, you, and and like you say, Michael was a fan, so he already knew you could play. You know, he, yeah. he obviously liked your style. And, he, you know, and, and, you know, vertical, you know, the band was, when they had that first album, I mean, that was a really good album. You know, you guys were, you were the real deal. Everybody saw you in concert. Everybody heard you on record. So it's not, you know, that's what, what better audition for someone, you know, than that, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, you know, they knew that I had done touring and stuff like that. I wasn't just this kid, you know, I mean, shoot, looking back now, I think I was 35 when I auditioned for the Doobies. So, you know, it's, it's a long time ago, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, six, and, and, they, and they kept you all these. And now, uh, well, Michael's back because it's the 50th anniversary tour, right? So Michael's back out. Yeah, Mike McDonald's out with us this year doing the 50th anniversary thing. And, um, you know, I, I know we've got stuff planned for next year as well. The, the dates that we weren't able to reschedule this year, we're doing next year. And uh, so yeah, obviously he'll be a part of that and, and everything. So, yeah, it's been great having him on because now we get to do, you know, when he's not around, we really just do, we only do taking it to the streets. Right, it's the right. only Michael era song that we play when Mike's not on the gig. Because, I, I, I mean, that's such a unique voice. It's hard to, you can't yeah. just say, oh, we'll just have so-and-so sing it. It's like, oh. right, right, right. you know, Streets is a little different. The guys, there's a big uh, group chorus, you know. Mm -hmm. And our bass player and our and Simmons will sing it. They'll trade off verses together when we do it. But um, to have him on and to be able to play stuff like Minute by Minute and What a Fool Believes. and Yeah. It keeps you running and it's just really really great man and on top of it he's a great guy i don't know if you've ever met michael or not he's a oh no yeah no actually i interviewed him for a different view a couple of years ago many years ago in modern drummer and then uh i, I saw him uh, a couple of years ago when toto michael mcdonald toto show we hung out for a little bit i love yeah. michael yeah, yeah he's I a super him. sweet guy and, and and a very funny human being as well yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. got a joke to tell and and he knows how to tell it, man. He's one of those guys that starts telling a joke and you're a mile away from the punchline and he's got you in stitches like, you know, so, uh, yeah. So the whole thing, you know, despite all the COVID protocols and all that stuff, the, the whole tour has been really, really fun. Um, you know, we had to cancel a few shows a few weeks ago because because, uh, you know, Mike came yeah. down with COVID actually. <laughs> And but you know we rescheduled that stuff and onward and upward and we test every show day so you know we know we're walking in negative so thank God yeah I know but, it's a shame you know, I thought by now I, I hate to keep bringing it up every week in the podcast it comes up somehow because you can't ignore it but I was hoping you know I wrote my editorial eight months ago thinking okay this is the last time I'm gonna have to mention this this is like let's move on and it's still you know there's nothing we can do except wait it out yeah stay, everybody's got to stay safe that's all you know yeah so yeah so hopefully next year we'll uh 
be sort of yeah. back out on the road. More so back now, to normal and doing before, the thing. Before you go out, do you have any, do you do any warm-ups? Because like some guys, they, they, they do warm up. Some guys, they just go out and play. No, I mean, I do, I do a bit of warm-up. I stretch, you know, I, I stretch my arms and my back. You know, nothing monumental, just, just you know, a little five-minute, ten-minute stretch thing. And then uh, I'll stand at my road case with a pad and play some old drum corps stuff just to get the, the hands moving, the arms moving, and all that. Um, this On this particular tour, the set is paced in such a way that I, it, I don't – I've got one sort of intense tune up top, but the, the, the front part of the set's – a bit on the mid-tempo side so i can sort of do the rest of my uh it, it, you know I, I don't i never go up cold i just I just right, don't. Right, right. um so i do i do a little bit of warming up before i go up yeah and how is it now with uh well you've done it before i think two years ago right just what, what just you as the only drummer without double drumming and now mark yeah. how long has mark been in the band mark Kionis? mark Kionis has been there since 2018 uh, playing percussion and uh i started uh it was two drummers all the way up till 2016 and uh, about midway through 2016 it just went down to one drummer and they've just kept it that way and i'm glad they have i mean uh, double drumming was fun um to a degree um because in this particular band you know it's not like we're doing the king crimson thing or anything like that it's basically two guys out there playing the same thing and um you know, I just never felt it was necessary to for this band to have two drummers with that stuff. I think it was a '70s thing. It was, a, I think, it was more of a visual thing. Yeah, um, and back then it was rare too. Yeah, and you know, brothers, you know, you had the Allman Brothers, you had the Doobie Brothers, but really, it was you know, it was cool. Like you say, it's visual wise, and 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 of course, double drums always gives that impact. But if you're gonna play the same exact thing, you know, yeah. then yeah. It's just a night. It's just a nightmare for the front of house guy, you know. So you know we weren't doing things like the Dead or, you know, even Butch, even Butch and Jamo and the Almonds. You know, one guy would kind of hold it down while the other guy kind of decorated and and right, right. maybe played some jazz or something underneath. You know, yeah. particularly well, there's an art, you know, there's an art to double drumming as we as we know. For sure, for sure. So when it when it went to just me, I felt like I could breathe a little bit better, uh, musically speaking. It just kind of opened it up like, okay, I, we didn't have to worry about, okay, he's doing that fill, I'm doing this fill, we're doing this fill together. It was, I could just play, you know? And right. I, I mean, as everybody knows, the less thinking you have to do when you're playing, the, Absolutely. the, more, the more organic it is. And so when they started talking in 2018 about maybe beefing up the rhythm section again, I, I kind of, very loudly said like let's get a percussionist and let's get a percussionist let's not get a drum set player who's looking for a gig or right, right. one of the guy's girlfriends with a tambourine like let's get a legit percussionist and i brought mark's name into it because i knew he hadn't been doing much because uh, greg allman was sick at that point right. and uh in you know those of us who knew knew that, that he, he wasn't going to be going back on the road right so right. we had mark down to we did a couple of rehearsals for we had been off for some time uh for some months and we were down in florida which just happens to be where mark lives 
uh, to do a corporate event, and we did a couple of days of rehearsal before the before the event because we hadn't played together in like five or six months. So he came down to the rehearsals and played with us, and he did the corporate event with us, and he's been there ever since. Is that the first time you guys played together? I believe so. Yeah, we had done we had toured together because uh, Doobies had done some stuff with Greg and with the and right, with the right. Albums long time ago. Um, but we had never actually played music together. Yeah, so we knew each right. other like socially. Uh, you know, I I knew him enough that I had his number, and right. uh, and and that was the first time we played together. And it was just an instant lock, man, because he knows exactly what to play, what not to play. From he's a real he's like as you say, he's a real percussionist. He is. I mean, you know, his background's in salsa music. Yeah. So uh, you know, so you know, growing up in the Bronx and playing playing salsa is his background and then he was in Spirogyra for some years and that's where butch trucks saw him was with Spirogyra, and he joined the almonds uh on butch's invite wow after. how many he's he was in the almonds for, for a good number of years 30 years man yeah yeah because wow. i remember even when he played the festival back in the day he he was already playing with the almond brothers yeah yeah, uh, he's, he, a great, he's, he's a great, great fit with us musically and personally. So yeah. that's been working out really, really well. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's good to get along with. And we always we always stress that to people, you know, the up and coming guys that you could, you know, you could take five guys. They're all going to be great. But if you have an attitude, you automatically now it's down to four. You have an attitude, it's down to three. You know, absolutely. I tell kids that all the time. You know, if it's down to you and one other guy and that guy plays better than you, but he's got a little bit of an attitude, like you're going to get the gig. Mm -hmm. That that will be the number one thing that gets you the gig. Yep. Um, and I think that helped with the doobie situation. They knew like, you know, I'd been on tour buses and, and whatnot. And uh, right. You, yeah, you were experienced. You toured. You, yeah. were on the, you, know, you did, you know, you did the whole thing. Yeah. actually just worked out perfect how you know one thing ended and then thank god that went right into that right into yeah the and it's weird because it, it's vertical didn't even really end i just sort of moved away from it and then you know the bass player left shortly after me and and so now vertical is just matt but. yeah and and when i did some research i saw something about neil peart played on a vertical horizon oh yeah yeah the record <laughs> after and after me. So what happened there was Matt had become Matt Scannell is the lead singer and songwriter for Vertical right. Horizon. And Matt had become friends with Neil somewhere in there. They had a mutual friend that connected them. Uh, it's really weird. I think Matt, if I remember the story correctly, Matt had gone over to take some pictures of a car that Neil was selling um, for this guy in here in Dallas, actually. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, and Matt and Neil just kind of hit it off as people and, and they became very good friends. So after I had left, Matt was working on a new record and, um, Neil had gave him, I think it was at Matt's request, Neil had given him a couple of lyrics right, right. For, for some stuff. And Matt said to him, he said, look, you, you know, I have to ask, you know, <laughs> if you wrote the words for these songs, like you have to play on these songs. I never knew this. And and Neil said, oh, I don't think anybody else could play those songs, so I'll do it, you know? So, so he ended up playing on uh, 
a couple of tracks on that record, and I think he might have played on a track or two on the record after that as well. Wow, yeah, that yeah, that, that completely surprised me because I never, I never read it. I don't remember it. I don't like. So that was a, that was so Neil Neil kind of replaced you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, I used to I got I used to get calls from my friends that were basically like, "Hey, man, did you see who who they had to get to replace you in Vertical Horizon?" And I, and I never knew Carter Bulford was in Vertical Horizon before you. Yeah, it's weird. I've had this this weird dance around people, you know. And Carter was never in Vertical, but he played on that record. Right, um, right. It was right about the time Dave Matthews Band was starting to take off that that Carter played on that record, which was called Running on Ice. And so I ended up kind of following him in that band. I followed Keith Knudsen in this band who, you know, was, I played all that stuff growing up as a kid. And then Neil kind of, I mean, he didn't follow me into Vertical Horizon, but he ended up playing with Vertical Horizon after I left. And it's, the world's a funny place, man. Yeah, well, it's cool. I, you know, it's, I like the way it happens when you meet this person, that person, you wind up with this person because of that person. I love it. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. and. And, uh, you know, I know you, I know you're close to Ringo. We did a, a charity event out in Sonoma, California, a big concert, uh, for people, uh, it was a fundraiser and, uh, Ringo said any and all doobies on stage for the encore for, with a little help from my friends. So nice. to this day I have yet to meet Ringo. We just did the Jimmy Kimmel show with him like two weeks ago. Yeah, I know that was, that was a really good performance. And I, and he was there, which I was surprised. So I thought you guys were going to hook up. I was kind of hoping we would do a little something. And, uh, I didn't, you know, again, with all the COVID, like, I know this dressing room's over here and that dressing room's over here. And, you know, usually at the Kimmel show, there's a big mingling room in the yeah. middle of it all. And they kind of had all us sectioned off and all that. Everybody's so, in that bubble. No big deal, man. I, you know, I got to play shaker and sing with Greg on, with a little help from my friends that yeah. night out in yeah. Sonoma. So that not a lot of people have been on stage with the Beatles. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, that, that is, uh, that is very cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, man, so, the world, no, like I said, world's a small you, place. The new record. Um, are you on the new record? You're on I the am, new record. I do not play a note on the new Doobie Brothers record. You don't? I do not. So who plays on the record? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I yes. think I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, Victor and Drizzo's on a fair amount of it. Um, I hear a couple of a couple of the tunes. Sounds like maybe Kenny is is on it, but wow. I haven't. So it was one of those things that they made during the pandemic. John Shanks produced, and it was one of those situations where they basically let the producer call the shots. Yeah, and, um, and you know, we all know, you know, producers have their people that they're used to working with, and yeah. and then everything's remote. You know, I'm sure everything with the tracks was sent all over. Yeah, but uh, I was surprised. But you know, these days it's so hard. That's why I feel bad for the younger generation. I mean, like even. Like the Doobie Brothers or the Doobie Brothers, but that album came out and one day, and then you don't you don't hear yeah. about it anymore. There's no line of notes, so I couldn't even you know I don't even, I you know I wasn't sure if you were on it. I only heard a couple of songs. Yeah, but um, yeah, you know, I haven't seen. I've I've looked for liner notes too because I've been kind of curious as to. Yeah, it's like you know, the, the the younger generation they don't care. When we were growing up, that's what, what why we bought records, you know. I learned about so many artists because I bought every record that Jeff Beccaro was on. And yeah. then I learned about so many artists that I would have never known about if I didn't buy that record because Jeff Beccaro was on it. 
yeah, man, all this useless music trivia that I have, like where records were recorded and who the engineer <laughs> was. And it's from sitting there reading the credits while the album's playing, you know, right. and, and not stopping and going back and reading them again and again and again, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was that kid. I, you know, I would see like engineered by so-and-so and I'd be like, what's, what's an engineer do on a record? Right. So I would go research that and find out that, you know, what does a producer do? And, and, uh, I mean, I was just ridiculously way into it when I was a kid. So we all, we every, yeah, uh, my generation, your generation, and then a little bit of that, the next generation before you. But then now, this generation, they they don't even care. Yeah, yeah. It's sad. It's yeah. Sad. So I mean, you know, they made the new record the way they made it. You know, it sounds good. There's some good tunes on there. We're playing a couple of them during the live show. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a disappointment to me that I have yet to play on a Doobie Brothers record. I mean, I'm on a live thing that they put right. out. We did those shows at the Beacon Theater, and they they put those out, mm -hmm. um, which was cool. And uh, you know, who knows, man? Maybe they have one more in them. You yeah. know, and if so, if if I do end up playing on a Doobie record, great. And if not, I, it it really doesn't matter to me at this point, man. You have to write the next hit for them. Well, that's it. You know. Say hey, I'm not giving you the song unless unless you let me play on. Unless it. I play like like Neil, like Neil said. Like Neil, yeah. Play. There's only one person who can play on this song. It's gotta be me. That's right. That's right. So. <laughs> but so, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, dude, that that's such a minor uh, complaint in what has been a really, really great ride with these guys. You know? Yeah, and you know what? You can't take it personally because, like you say, everybody has their way of recording, their way of doing things. Yeah. You know. So, you know, it, you, you, you take it personal because you feel like, well, I could have did that, but it's not personal. No, not at all. And, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't even say I take it personally. Like there's that one little moment when, you know, when I heard like there's new, there's a new recording. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I just get on with my life. <laughs> like, right, right. <laughs> it's all good, man. Yeah. It's all good. All right, and, let's talk. And I'm about, a side guy. You know, it would be one thing if I was a band member. Right. I was. I was just gonna say, you're you're still you're a hired gun. You're an important hired gun, but you're a hired gun. Exactly. And yeah. so, as a hired gun, I do what they ask me to do. Yep. They didn't ask me to play on the record, so I'm not playing on the record. It, Big it's deal. A job, right? It's a job. It's a gig. It's exactly. Yeah. That's the other thing that the younger generation don't understand. They like. They'll answer back and then, you know, they're fired after a week of being on tour with somebody because they don't know how to take care of the business part of it. Right. So, yeah, let's talk gear a little bit. I know DW, you've been a DW guy, right? For how many, how long? Long time, uh, pretty much since the late 90s. Yeah, I'm, I've got their purple, one of their purple heart kits out with me right yeah. now. I've used it for the last couple of tours that we've done and I love it man it's beautiful too it's, it's a, oh they are gorgeous drums but they the sound is really magnificent and um the snare it's it's one of a few wood snares that i've played that i mean it sounds like i'm playing if you close your eyes it almost sounds like a metal snare hmm. like like a black beauty type kind of thing you know right right um but uh it's yeah i can't say enough about it it's really really good stuff and, and don and john i mean they're you know they're amazing oh yeah they're great guys and and, and, and i scott and, you know scott I mean, garrison everybody there 
John is John Good's one of my favorite people on earth, man. You know, and I get these great texts from him. Like, you know, I I texted him to see if he wanted to come to the forum. We played at the LA Forum a couple of weeks ago, and I texted him a few days before, reminding him about the show to see if he wanted to come. <laughs> he literally texts me back, "I'll be in Michigan on a wood hunt." <laughs> And he's telling the truth. <laughs> he's telling the truth. He's going to hunt for wood, man. He's going to look for some kind of wood that nobody's ever made a drum out of before. You know, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull wood out of the ocean that's been soaking for a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who even thinks that kind of stuff? You know. Yeah, no, he's a genius. So, when it really is. He's a genius when it comes to that. Yeah, something else. And so, uh, yeah. symbols, symbols still Zildjian, right? Still Zildjian and mostly the same symbols, man. I, I I mean, not the exact same symbols, but the same models. I mean, you know, I've always looked at the kit as an instrument, as a singular instrument. And, you know, when I put my hand over here to hit a drum, I'm looking for a specific sound. When I go to hit a crash cymbal here, I'm looking for a specific sound. I'm looking for a different sound when I go to hit my crash cymbal over here. So it's all very specific. Hey, Ed Toth from the Doobie Brothers here at the Memphis Drum Shop playing a 22-inch K custom medium ride. And you can buy this very symbol over at mysymbol.com. To me. And it's kind of been the same for years for me now. Uh, K custom fast crash, a couple of A customs, an A custom projection crash. I've used a 20-inch K hybrid ride for about five years now. Um, I and it's funny. I went to do uh, I, I went to do a thing at Memphis Drum Shop for Jim, uh, where you play some cymbals and mm -hmm. and uh, you know. You oh, that order... vault! That vault is amazing. It really is. When you can order them, you know, do the, the I did the videos for them. Like you know, you can. Here's what it sounds like. You could buy this symbol on mysymbol.com. You know. Um, and that's when I first heard a, a K hybrid ride and, and I, I immediately started riding on it and I stopped and my drum tech was there with me and I looked up at Jeremy and was just like, and he, he was just nodding his head like this, like this, <laughs> like, you know, cause he knew I was looking for something different in the ride department at that time. So right, that, was, right. that was immediate, which was great. I've got some kind of uh, prototype that, um, either Jim McGathy or Paul Francis gave me some years ago. It's some kind of crash, but I'm not sure what, because I don't know that it ever became a line. Right, right. Um, and I'm just, I, I love, I have it at the very end. So when I do like a Tom run and I can come down and just hit this really sweet 19 inch crash that kind of explodes and then just really goes away almost immediately, you know? And um, I, I live in fear for the day that that symbol cracks. Yeah. <laughs> 
because I don't think there's another one. <laughs> and now, and now, and now, Paul's not there anymore. Paul Francis. So, Very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't. We're not going to get into the politics of uh, <laughs> any of that. <laughs> nope. Nope. But, but yeah, I, and then you know, a couple splashes. I've always loved the a custom twelve-inch splash. I've always had one right up over here. It gives you that splash thing without being sort of too splashy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, my favorite hi-hat combination for, I don't know, as as long as they've been around, I have an A custom top and a K master sound bottom. And it's just a killer combination. I saw a clip of you with John Cowan. Oh, yeah. And I know you guys had a have a project together that you were doing because when you did your on the beat uh, a while ago, you had just uh, button, you was just starting that project. Yeah, and I, I saw a, a video of you guys playing Roxanne. Oh, that was from uh, we used to do this thing in Nashville called the Nashville Drummers Jam, and what it was was like it was an event we'd have once or twice a year where basically the guys that were running the event would would choose a drummer that we would sort of honor and everybody would learn a tune that that drummer played on and it was like a charity thing like all the money went to right, 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 right. local charities and stuff and there'd be like a house band and all that and all of us natural drummers would get up and, and play different songs and that was from the Stuart copeland uh, that was the uh, tribute kind of yeah and so that's what and i and i roped cowan in to sing it because that's mm -hmm. not an easy song to sing no i i he did a great job on the he did a yeah great john's job. got that high tenor voice but yeah he and i put we he and i and a guitar player named keith howland who's in the band chicago mm -hmm. um we, you know we're all we we used to all be neighbors and, and you all uh, and you went on tour together didn't you guys tour yeah the doobies have done a lot of touring with chicago yeah. yeah and it turns out that keith lived right up the street from me and and of course cowan didn't live too far so we used to get together we initially got together and put together like a sort of a cover band and the goal with the cover band was just to play songs that cover bands generally don't play mm -hmm. so we're playing like bad finger and and stuff like that you know the um, cool stuff the cool <laughs> stuff exactly and uh basically as happens you, you know we just started jamming around in the basement and i remember one day we didn't even play any songs we just kind of jammed around for a couple hours and then split and then either later that day or the next day i got a email from keith that had an mp3 attached to it and the email just said i think there's some songs here and then he had some time markings like because this mp3 was like an hour and a half long you know <laughs> so um i went to where he had marked the stuff and he was right there was some cool ideas there so the next time we got together, we sort of worked on it and, and we ended up making an album's worth of tunes. Uh, we came up with a band name, Button. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And, and so you called, so you call Rose. You call yeah, Rose. absolutely. Yeah. We all decided just like, we was just yeah. going to be an all in, you know, everybody's credited to everything. Kind Why of thing. not? Because yeah. that's really kind of how it came about, you know? Um, and so that's out there on the streaming services and all that, if anybody's interested. And it's got some great stuff on it. It's got, uh, we brought in a few different keyboards, Billy Payne from Little Feet, and now mm -hmm. from the Doobies. He's, Payne's been playing with the Doobies for the last almost 10 years. Um, he's on a track. Uh, uh, Jeff Babco from LA is on a bunch of stuff. And Butch Taylor, who was in Dave Matthews' band for a little while, is on some tracks nice. there as well. Yeah, and, no, uh, people... 
Good check that out. I, it's I a remember, fun. It's a, it's a fun when, little record, man. It's a yeah, fun. Yeah, no, record. it is. I remember when you were doing it. It's it, it's 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 good. Cool. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, one thing. Um, do you electronics? Are there any electronics on stage, or you know, hybrid uh, triggers or anything? No. No, not at all. Everything's to a click. So I have a little pedal that that tells the guy to start the, the click and off we go. So, and you, and you have any ears, right? Yeah. Ears. So um, what, what do you like? Like, what do you need to hear? Do you have your own control over your mix or? The, no, I, the, the monitor guy does it for me. I generally like to feel like I'm listening to a record, like playing along with a record like we were when we were kids. Right. You know? That's the great thing about it. Yes. Yeah. So I don't, I don't pan my kit. It's all dead center. And I, um, you know, basically have a little bit of everything in there. I will back off or eliminate some stuff that I don't totally need, like maybe some background vocal stuff or, um, you know, some keys stuff that I might not need on a on a on a tune that's more guitar driven. Yeah, um, and it muddies it up too. It's yeah, too I'll I'll back off some of the guitar stuff. You know, all the Mike McDonald songs are very keyboard driven, so I'll back off on some of the guitar stuff on that. But it's great now that because I mean, as you know, like I mean, when, I remember when In Ears first came out, it was like you got your mix and like that was the mix. Right. And now right. I got I, I, now we get the mixes are they're tune by tune. You know. That's yeah. Um, that uh, it's a great thing In Ears, and you don't have to. You know the monitors are not blasting in your head and yeah i mean we know. all remember those days i mean i remember playing in a horn band and i had a three-piece horn section to my right all my cymbals and a monitor tower like to my left i mean you know it's, it's no wonder we all have tinnitus you know <laughs> yeah, yeah i know it's like and everybody's got the little hearing aids now it's like absolutely well i'm gonna i'm gonna if you don't mind i'm gonna bring in a friend of mine i'm gonna pop him in um, he's a yeah, big man. fan of, of the Doobie Brothers, and um, he, we, we go back uh, a pretty long time. Um, we just reconnected recently, but uh, he's a famous, famous radio personality DJ. He was on some of the biggest stations here in WPLJ, WKTU uh, in the 80s, and uh, Hot 103. I mean, all these top stations. He was one, one of the top DJs uh, here in New York, and he's uh, an actor. And uh, he loves music and he loves the Doobie Brothers. I'm going to bring on uh, Al Bandiro. All right. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, how Al. Are you? Very good. Nice to meet you, Ed. Al, ben. that's Ed. Nice to Al. meet you as well. And uh, Billy and I go back, as he said, a, a long way. You know, I was listening to you chat about your audition. So may I ask a couple of questions? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So... Do they tell you before you go in what you're going to audition on, what particular songs? In this particular, so uh, yeah, let me rewind a little bit. So the Vertical Horizon audition, they did not. It was basically, you know, th these are the albums and <clears throat> come on in and we'll play some stuff together. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about the Vertical Horizon audition is the first thing they did was they said, we have this new thing we've been working on, you, you know, would be, be curious to see what you what you put on it. So they just started playing a song that I had never heard before that they were still working on. And I think they were just trying to gauge like, because, you know, anybody that can play can learn a tune. Right. I think they were trying to gauge where I was at in the creativity department, you know, 
um, how I heard this particular music that they were writing. Um, and then we went through a couple of songs from the albums and, and stuff like that. Um, the Doobies was sort of, I got a list. I got a copy of a live record that they had put out the year before, which was called Live at Wolf Trap. And it was like, here's five songs, learn the arrangements from this Live at Wolf Trap CD. What, what were the songs? Oh man, you're gonna make me remember. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> I think it was pretty much the hits. I think it was Listen, China, Long Train, which had a sort of extended arrangement. Was Jesus on there? I don't think Jesus was on there. You know, I have I have the actual note that they sent me in a box somewhere. Wow. I'll have to look it up. Mm. Um, I think Take Me In Your Arms might've been on there. But you know, I over-prepared. I learned all the arrangements from the whole live album instead of just mm -hmm. the five tunes. And you know, I knew a lot of their material anyway from playing it along growing up. And so this worked in my favor because at one point in the audition, Tom Johnston called a tune. I can't remember what it was. And McPhee jumped in and said, oh, that's not on the audition list. And I said, it doesn't matter. I know it. Let's play it. Very and, cool. And so we played yeah. it. So, you know, I've always been a proponent of being yeah. over prepared for auditions. Yeah. It shows that you did your, your homework, too. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. take me back to you get the gig, mm -hmm. your very first concert with the Doobie Brothers. Where was it? My first concert with the Doobie Brothers was a corporate event in Singapore. Uh, okay. Wow. I'd never, been, I'd never been to Asia. Um, and, and there I was. Where was your first concert with them? Meaning? When we got back to the States after mm. that, my first concert, I believe, if I remember correctly, was in Utah. Okay, so take me back for this moment, if you would, mm -hmm. um, the house lights go down, people are ready, and you're about to start playing drums for the first time with the Doobie Brothers. Mm -hmm. Can you remember what went through your mind the moment it started? You know, it was just exciting. It was a little nerve wracking because it was mm -hmm. like the first, you know, I mean, we had done the corporate thing, but that's always those, those shows are usually, you don't play as long. Right. And you're not playing to fans per se. You're playing to people who know your music, but you're mm -hmm. you're there as entertainment, basically. Right, right. This is a Doobie Brothers concert, you know. Right. When, How many people roughly at that first show? At the first show, um, it was an outdoor festival of sorts. So, you know, it's a few thousand people, you know. Um, and, but I've been used to playing to crowds before, obviously. Right, right. Because Vertical Rock played some huge. Places. Yeah, we played some big shows, you know. So, you know, being up there with my friend Mike, who's not only my friend Mike Hasek, but the original one of the original drummers for the Doobie Brothers, was like really cool. And you know, playing these tunes with these guys, I mean, I had played them in bar bands for years, mm. you know. And um, so that was a really kind of cool thing. And I, I remember feeling a little bit more charged after the gig because I'd gotten through it <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and didn't make any mistakes. And like, it went really well. And it was like, holy crap, I'm, I'm in the Doobie Brothers. In the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. yeah. And that's amazing. And also for a, a long time. So yeah, kudos, I, kudos to you. Yeah, doobie drummer. So when the Doobie started, it was just one drummer, a guy named John Hartman 
who was a founding member of the Doobie Brothers. They made that's one, that's that's right. Yeah. Now you, you, you they, get my memory going. Now that's right. He was. They the made they made one record, which was just called the Doobie Brothers. It didn't really do much of anything. The second record is when they started doing the two drummer thing, and that's when Michael Hosek came in. So it was Michael Hosek and John Hartman. They made the Toulouse Street record, the Captain and Me record, and what were once vices are now habits. Great 70s album title, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right before the touring or right during the touring of vices, Michael Hasek decided he had enough and he split. And that's when Keith Knudsen came in. And so it was Keith Knudsen and John Hartman for uh, the next few records. And then when they were touring minute by minute, uh, or right before they started touring minute by minute, Hartman had left. Now, was this when Michael came in? Yeah, Michael McDonald's in the band at this point, had been in the band for a few years. And they brought in a guy called Chet McCracken. I don't know if you know Chet. I so, don't know. L LA, LA guy, you know? Yeah. Um, so Chet was in there for the last few years of that original Doobie run. And then they hung it up in 83. Um, and then... The band when the band got back together in the late 80s it was the original lineup so it was john hartman and michael hosack wow they made a couple of records 80 in 81 and 89 uh they had a hit the doctor remember music is the doctor mm -hmm. the big hit on the radio yep they had an album after that and then hartman left again and so michael hosack was still there well the doobies they just brought back keith knudsen <laughs> so <laughs> No so wonder Mikey, why nobody knows. <laughs> exactly. There'll be a quiz. There'll be a quiz in a few minutes, kids. This is good. Yeah, we should have a contest. <laughs> so it was it was Mike and Keith from in the nineties all the way up until Keith passed in 05. And then I came in. And then in twenty ten, Mike found out he had cancer. And I, I, was, I, I met his doctor that night when backstage you introduced yeah. me to Mike and then his doctor was there. Yeah, and he got off the road in 2010, and we lost him in 2012. But uh, and that's when Tony Pia came in. He had been in Brian Setzer's band. Yeah, I'm sorry, Tony. That you know, I'm not familiar. I'll, I'll look it up now. And yeah, me. So me and Tony did it for like almost like six years, just about six years. Wow. And, and then he left in 2016, and uh, we just kept the single drummer thing. So that's the it's, it's it's interesting to hear that because you're you're joining a band that is worldwide known yeah and there has to be those butterflies before you do it but i would think that because it's such a physical thing on the mm -hmm. drums that also helps you get that out where you know you're not you're not bottled up um, yeah you don't have to sit there and try to make 10 fingers do different things you're just yeah. like you can put that energy out yeah so. there's a fit yeah there's a physical thing and, and it's and you already had experience but then you're you're going up into the level of a band like the, the doobie brothers um which yeah. obviously i was watching a video this morning uh somewhere i think uh, it might have been indiana but uh it was somebody real close and it was on their phone and you guys did a great job you know it was just watching my favorite on the drums and watching guys play is Jesus is just all right. Yeah. Because I, I don't think, and I'll be the first to admit, there isn't a guy that hasn't played air drums on Jesus is just all right. <laughs> and, and if they deny it, they're lying. Yeah. So, 
<clears throat> so you you watch that over and over again and you have that in your head and uh, I, I just wondered what was that like you know to to get up because Billy's allowing me on which is uh, appreciated because my first movie Rocky Four is coming back out in November with all new with different scenes uh, some taken out but I remember going down that was my first film it's like you going up on stage for the first time yeah um, and man you're nervous you know you're you're these guys have been doing what they've been doing for a long time. And then you get this shot and, <clears throat> you know, you're close to changing your underwear before you come out of the, uh, <laughs> the dressing room and you sit there and you, you know, you, you get to a point where I'm, I'm sure it happened. I would think it happened when you're ready to go. It's either you sink or you swim. Yeah. There is no middle. It's either you're going to do this well, or you're going to die. It's, it's one yeah. or two. So, and that's it, you know, you just sort of tell yourself, you know what, man, Let's just go out and have fun. Have, yeah, exactly. Uh, and we'll have a blast, and you know what? And then we'll do it again. Yeah, isn't that what life is supposed to be all about now? Life is supposed to be about having fun. I think that pandemic taught us that. Time, yeah. who you spend time with, and life is short, man. You better make every day fun. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's who you're with and who you're not with is equally, uh, you know, important today. And... Uh, especially with uh, with 50 years you guys are that's the 50 yeah. years right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and rocky four is i think 35 or 36 and uh, years ago it came out we're going to come out again and it's uh, it feels like it was last week yeah. you know that we did that but i think part of this is that people go back to a time where they were having a great time whether it's listening or visual and i think that's why a lot of these classics get back out there again you know, when I go on YouTube and I, I'm reading a script, I always listen to music while, mm -hmm. while I'm reading. I, I always do. I'll pick. And for me, I always go back to a certain period where you were just rocking at that time of your life. Uh, maybe you didn't have too much money in your pocket, but it brought back great memories. Uh, Absolutely. And, and music gets into your bones. You know, with a movie that you do, you have to watch it a open up and get to the point, get to the middle of it, see the end. Music, the first two seconds for me has always been, okay, crank this one up. This, this yeah. is good. Uh, so I think that as people are going out and I'm sure you guys are sold out uh, and now we're anticipating on November 11th for this movie to come out. As you look around, theaters getting sold out. So you wonder, I know you've seen this film a thousand times, but it's just something I guess about going back into a theater to see it the way it's like let me put this album on again even though i've heard it a million times that it just never gets old yeah you know? that's the stuff you know that touches your heart that leads yeah, absolutely well listen we gotta i would love to keep you guys all day long but we gotta wrap this up so i i appreciate you both uh al thank you for thank stopping you in. rocky four november 11th right rocky four november 11th worldwide and Ed, just before we go, I know we had spoke about you get, wanting to get in more into producing. Is that still, you still thinking about that? Well, producing is something I did during the tail end of Vertical and that I still do from time to time. So, you know, if anybody thinks they want me to produce their thing, give me a call. I think I'd do a pretty good job at it. I think drummers make the best producers. A majority of people that, that do produce play the drums. They may, Absolutely. They may not be drummers, all drummers, but... They play the drums. Well, you know, the drummer's like a catcher on a ball field, man. We need to know what everybody's doing. 
Right. You see, where, right. You see the where everybody's thing. going and how everybody's going to react. And when you know that stuff, it makes it, it, you, it puts you in a, in a better position to, 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 uh, steer an, a song or an album in the right direction. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, I thank you guys so much. Everybody. Thank you. Billy Amendola here, Modern Drama Magazine. And, uh, we'll see you next time on the All Modern right. Drama Podcast. Bye-bye guys. Be safe. See you. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at when you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.